0: name's not down you're not coming.
1: In. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Raw, the 90s rave podcast. Just a little pre-warning, this episode does contain language and themes which some of you may find offensive or upsetting. But ultimately, we hope you enjoy it. Cheers. So we're still here with MC Majika. We've talked a lot about how he first got into performing his early days in the rave scene, but interested to know about his big breaks. Uh, you did, G, perform with Pilgrim at Fantasia's legendary One Step Beyond event in 1992 at Castle Donington. Um, was that the moment that you thought, I've made it here?
0: Mm, not quite made. Uh, and that's being honest, I just thought, at the time, I didn't think anything. I just thought, oh my God. I thought, oh my God, another another opportunity, another stripe, another networking opportunity, and um, you, we, we talked about drugs earlier, right? And I said, I never take drugs. If you just saw me that night, you would have said to me, "Now, listen, there was no way you was not on drugs. I was I was flying on adrenaline and natural cortisol. <laughs> I was I was all over the shop. Literally, I couldn't believe it that I was going to go on, and." Um, uh and it was a very exciting moment
1: uh how did it come about
0: basically just went went to the rave uh with pilgrim and his manager ronnie uh, got backstage with them and then said look can i go on for you and ronnie said to the stage manager we want majika to go on and pilgrim was a big big uh endorser for me i remember going to quest for the first time uh, uh and going on and he came up to me straight away and he said, listen, you need to be here every week. You're brilliant, mate. And um, he, we've always, yeah, he's he's been a great supporter of mine, Paul. And I, I like to feel like I've always supported him as well.
1: Well, he's a good guy and, and he's been supporting us as well in terms of trying to get some guests and that sort of stuff. I'm going to get, we will get him on at some point because he is yeah, one of these yeah. originators, you know, we, we definitely will. And actually haven't had uh, any sort of, Sort of people, you know, like the Jungle Techno sound. So we we, 100% will at some point. Um, You've also got to know Fantasia promoter James Perkins uh, and you became a resident host for Club Fantasia. And then you pitched yourself to Paul Sherry at Universe, which led you to put many of their events, including some of the tribal gatherings. It must have been such an exciting time for you as a performer.
0: Yeah, it was a it was a great time. Um, it was a great time to meet the people I did and build relationships, and and it was all driven off 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 a surge, a surge of energy of, of getting through. It wasn't easy, mate. You know, as I said, and I'm not here to get the violins out. It was a very very tough thing, especially being Asian. It, it did have its drawbacks, but I showed them that I was a kid who who had what it took. I'm very energetic. I was very polite at the times, even though I had my moments yeah what,
1: what happened
0: <laughs> <laughs> mate there was times when i didn't know how to communicate i've made mistakes for over years and probably acted at you know a, a twat in places of course who hasn't who hasn't and i did
1: i have i mean you know <laughs> i don't know if anyone listening to this would say they've never acted like a twat listen and i did
0: and i did and i, I had my moments um uh, but you know Generally, I met a lot of people. It was very exciting. I got, to, I got to break down a lot of doors. And a lot of those doors and a lot of those opportunities led to the rest of the journey just for me to continue, continue, continue. And even if there wasn't an opportunity, I'd make an opportunity happen. I'd create an opportunity because I was always looking for the next opportunity. I knew that I had to push myself. No one was going to push me. No one was going to push me. I wasn't going to get my phone ringing off. Yes, there was a time when my phone started to ring.
1: What well, you were, in terms of opportunities and creating opportunities for yourself, let's talk about the Carl Cox concept. We, we, we touched upon it a little bit earlier in this episode. Yeah. Um, you, you, you were alongside Carl and prodigy engineer Neil McClellan. Uh, uh, you, you toured the UK, did lots of memorable gigs, including Viber Light 3 and Universe Open Air. Overseas as well, uh, mate. Loads of overseas shows. As, as well, yeah, yeah. Touring Europe alongside Sven Vath, Laurent Garnier, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how did you create that opportunity? Tell us. Um that opportunity
0: came about f- from being in the right place at the right time. It's like being scouted by in any profession. Just, you know, it was like there was Carl, there was people around Carl as well. And uh, he was seeing me at Kinetic. And I had a I had this thing with Kinetic, this bond. And I remember being booked there for the first time ever. And they weren't really into booking guest MCs. And they'd heard about me, because they'd seen me on the circuit doing certain things and certain events. And when I got there, um, I wasn't advertised on the flyer. Um, And I I remember actually ringing ringing their office, saying, I've I've been booked for the the event, but I've just seen I'm not on the flyer, because obviously there there was no internet. Someone um, rang me and said, you're not on the flyer. Are you sure you're on there? So I rang them. And I, I remember speaking to one of the promoters and he went, ah, oh, I'm really sorry you're not on there. Yeah, you're on, please come. So I got there and then I remember, this is a memory, and we'll, we'll go back into the, the whole Carl Cox thing. And I remember going in and it was absolutely heaving, Tom, heaving. This place was unreal. The, the energy in there, it was just you know, ecstatic, euphor- euphoric uh, and noisy. Um, and I remember going on the mic and then just saying my name. And I, that's probably a moment where I felt I arrived because even though it was noisy, it was the surge towards me, the rush towards to even just touch me was mental. I was shocked, really shocked. And even on the way home, I was quiet. And they said, why are you so quiet? And even that they said, now we understand that was... That was something else, too. And I was like, "Yeah, I knew I. It was mad. It was, it was something I'll
1: never forget." As a, as a, as someone who says they were quite shy and quiet as a as a as a youngster and a kid, um, what was it about that sort of moment that where you're just feeling a rush and a surge, and people are buzzing off you that that appealed so much? Because you'd think that someone who's shy and retiring wouldn't really like that sort of thing.
0: No, but I was shy and quiet because I just didn't express myself, Tom. I did, probably didn't have the confidence to express myself and I was quite reserved. Even when I became well known, I was still reserved. Listen, there was people, um, I remember having incidences at certain raves and going to certain raves and hearing certain feedback. He doesn't talk to us. It wasn't I didn't talk to people, I just walked past them and i f- think to myself, who am I to come out the way and, and big myself up to you? So I'd just be quiet and put my head down and, and, and walk. And sometimes that was perceived in the wrong way. I, he thinks he's something, you know, something special. And I never did. I was just quiet, you know. But when I got up there, the quiet was left. This was my place to express myself. This was the right. place where I felt where I didn't feel alone. And That's I felt true. and I felt happy.
1: Well, John Sharkey, it's the very same. He's got in touch with us to ask you a question, uh, and yeah. he says, uh, "MCing for Carl Cox must have been every MC's dream. Uh, oh. uh, he's the god of DJs." Uh, when you started as Imran, before Majika, what dreams did you have of music? And did you ever think you'd achieve something as crazy cool as that? Listen, man, you know what? Just back to
0: Sharky. I, I, I've been having some conversations with him lately. And what an intelligent, intelligent, vibrant man and a lovely soul. And I'm not going to lie, man. I was once homophobic, mate. I was. And um, I treat people as I'm getting older. I treat people as one. doesn't matter where you come from and who you are. And if he lived in Birmingham, mate, I'd be around. I'd be around that guy loads he was such a joy and a fresh air to talk to the other day and and I just thought how funny is life you know his situation and that person making that comment and stuff about you know blah 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 and I was just thinking look at look at this now such a lovely guy. Did Um, you have did
1: you had had, did you have issues with him back in the day because of you know the things that we talked about earlier about you know your your mum getting calls from some of his crew and you know were you homophobic to him back then?
0: Um, No I was never homophobic I was okay. never homophobic when I mean homophobic just an opinion right I would have never associated and stuff like that you know because right. it's, it's just it just couldn't have happened and uh, but you know that's irrelevant now and uh, people are people and um, and it's all about respecting one another you know what I mean and he shows impeccable respect and he's such an intelligent guy and it well, was just so good to talk to him.
1: I know that he um, he's well. We've we've spoken too. I can uh, let let some of the people who are listening to this know he is well. Um, he's on right. the mend he's on the mend he's not quite there yet but you know he's been through a heck of a lot anyone that doesn't know he, go and search Jonathan Neath mail on Sunday and it'll explain to you uh, exactly why he's in the position he is but he's getting better um, and he's, uh, he is he listens he listens to this pod every week he says it's one of the highlights of his week which is incredibly touching uh, and we are hoping at some point we will get him on the show a little bit
0: he, he, he called me last night Says, said wish me luck he said when are you doing it I said I'm doing it tomorrow So, said listen man please go and smash it and I was like this- <laughs> I will, mate. Yeah, good, love good. Well, yeah, he's,
1: he's a legend, and um, and and uh, as I said before, you know, whenever we've talked about him, we all send him our best. Well, now we're actually able to do it because he's he's in touch with us, and we are sending him his best. And there's loads of love, and and, and hopefully he's going to. Well, he's got some news for people as well. He's back. He's coming back to the scene. That's what we'll say. And it's fantastic news. I won't say any more because it's his place to tell that. But yeah. uh, it's it's really positive for him. So back to Carl Cox. Um, how did that all? come about? Because you still haven't said it. How, how did this Carl Cox concept come about and why Why you? Okay, so the
0: Carl Cox come, come about because uh, Carl had various people around him and they were saying, listen, you should go live. You should go live. You should compete with the best. You've got a big name, big following. And he had the ultimate weapon in Neil McLennan. Neil McLennan was a driving force in is with the Prodigy today um, and uh, behind most of their hits and uh, integral engineer and um, <clears throat> so, they formed their live concept, and aptly, you know, called it the, the Carl Cox concept. And Carl got to see me in action, and he saw me in action at Kinetic first, and he saw what I did there and how I drove the crowd to the point where I got the crowd even shouting out his name loud. You had like two thousand people going Carl Cox and. What DJ is not going to like adoration? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, and then that adoration, and and and, and then it was just the, the mayhem that I caused and the little tricks we did in hyping up the crowd. And um, it happened when I went to Ulster um, to do uh, Ulster Hall um, in in Ireland, and um, he'd already done his PA set, oh. and I watched it. From the sideline, and um, and then he went on to do a DJ set, and just before the DJ set, there was um, another. I don't know who the guy was, but I mc for somebody, and um, I did my thing. I was doing my thing, and um, uh, during the set, there was an in-house promoter called Pablo, who was an Italian uh, living in Ireland, uh, just moved to Ireland, and been there a few years as part of the firm, and he was MCing. And Neil McLennan came over and he went, this should be you. You need to be on that set. Can you Can you get on please? And um, and I said, um, of course. Um, so I went over, um, I said, it'd be better if you speak to the guy because as again, I was pretty quiet and, stuff, and I didn't want to go over to the guy, you know, it was his thing. And so Neil went over because he goes, can you let our guy on? And the guy was like, yeah, yeah. And um, that set gets talked to about this day. I see it pop up all the time. And uh, I did my thing. And um, at the end of the set, we had to uh, – um, it was a great experience. We had to leave the event, and we went into this vehicle. And and I'm telling you, man, it was like I was with, like, in the van. We'd take that, and all these screaming fans chasing this vehicle with, like, a police escort. It was, it was mental and surreal. I was like, is this how you live? And he went <laughs> – <laughs> Well, not, not all the time, but occasionally, yes. <laughs> and I was like, Phew. got to the hotel. They've got like secu- the security back to follow the vehicle to the hotel to see us get out the – well, to see him get out the vehicle. Um, and then they've ushered us into the hotel. And then I'm like, wow. And then um, and then I'll get a, um, a call to my room, and it's Neil. He says, mate, can you come up? up to our room, man. Come and have a drink. So I've gone up to the room and um, uh, uh, I'm sat with Neil and, and Carl. And then Neil was just like, "Yeah, man, wicked. He's just digging it up. They haven't dropped it yet. I kind of had an idea. just a, a little idea. Well, I was hoping. I could probably do it or so. Uh, and then um, uh, I got um, Carl just came out and he said, "Listen, how do you feel about touring with us?"
1: And okay. <laughs> wasn't as quick I was a bit shocked am surprised I'm surprised yeah, oh yeah, yeah a bit shocked yeah true get over the shock was, and then say yes I
0: was a, I was a bit shocked I was just like uh, 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 and he goes uh, he just just say yes man and I went I went I'm, I'm, I'm so honoured I don't i am know what to say and and um, uh, and that was it. The rest was history. And then I got tagged with him. And then we did the Carl Cox concept. We supported
1: Prodigy on loads of shows. So, and who, so whose idea was the, the the Carl Cox concept? Carl. Right. Carl. Yeah. And it and it, and it and it was very much involving yeah. you though.
0: Um, yeah. Well, when, when he when he when he put the, the, the act together, they know they they needed a front man. Right. And it had to be someone youthful. You know, I'm a lot younger than them guys, and I was coming through, and obviously a bit different as well. You know, I, you know, and stuff. And and it did the job. And uh, and they gave me the chance and the opportunity. And and he's put a little quote on the cover of my book, which I'm still pinch myself just to be able to say, look, he's put on the cover of my book. Um, you know, I never, I never kind of. I can't remember it word for word now, but it's like you know, basically there was no one like him who could hype the crowd, and for him to say that even now, because that's it's what I did. I'm not saying I'm. Listen, it's not about me competing with such and such and blah blah blah. It's about what I did. That was it, and um, uh, I, I, I served and 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 I fit. I, I I fit the purpose at that time for what he did, and and it worked, and it. I became then tagged with him even when he did his DJ sets. I was getting booked left, right, and centre to go and perform with him, and it would naturally happen.
1: What was your highlight uh, of working with the Carl Cox concept? Um, I remember
0: something I'll, I'll never forget at the Big Love, early in the morning. Place was pretty tired now, mate. Sun was out. Uh, it was, Seven, eight in the morning, and um, people are battered. And uh, we've gone on. We worked the place up. So I just went into me. It doesn't matter if the place was dead to me. I just went into me and did what I had to do. Because if I didn't feel no energy, how are they going to feel energy? So I'm going into like rock and roll mode. I'm just doing like a you know Steven Tyler from the Aerosmith, just jumping jacks and moving up and down. And and I remember looking over to my left. To my to my right, sorry, and I looked at the bottom, and I saw God rest his soul, Keith Flynn, looking at me, smiling because I was I was I was I was going for it. I was in I was in a state. Again, if you'd have thought I was wasn't on drugs, you would have called me a liar. Um, and he was looking at me, and and then and then Liam was there, and the progeny were there and stuff. And when I came off, uh, um, Carl said, I saw them looking at you, man. And he said, that's big props. You know, this is, why, this is why you're here. And,
1: uh, yeah, proud Amazing. Amazing, I bet it was. Uh, yeah. But your, your time together as a Carl Cops concept was quite short-lived. Was that to do with the fact that he left the scene? <laughs> I mean, he, he stopped <clears throat> being a hardcore DJ. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He, he he started to, even when I was with him, um, I had to go sometimes and stay at his house in Horsham because of the gigs and stuff we were doing and, and, and whatnot. And I remember going to one gig we did and uh, it was like some mad gig we did, man, in Cardiff, where it was like, on the bill was like E17. At the time, they had that big number one Christmas hit and stuff, and then there was us, because <laughs> he was he was going to p- apparently chart, which we just missed out on. Um, and uh, we jumped in the car, and then he went to some, some house gig in Brighton. And while we were in the car, he started changing out of his rave attire, putting on a bloody you know, a Paul Smith shirt and stuff. And, you know, getting to go and do this other gig and, and it was happening. Then we went to Germany. I remember being in Germany. We played this big rave um, uh, on an airbase. It was a universe show. And then there was another one and Prodigy with Air and stuff and Ultrasonic with Air. And and then he did the one set and then he had to go into the other room with like um, Westbound and DJ Dog and Tanith and just European Pascal Faos and... Sven Vath and is is in or Sven Vaith or Vaith what people say uh, how you pronounce it but he went into that room and it was like and I walked in there and I could see and then I remember being at Dance Valley when I was hired to go to Dance Valley and I've introduced him on the stage where he's he's performing to you know all those type of that, that audience and I, I could just see what was happening it was he, he was he was so received, so well received into that community. He was already a legend and like a, 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 an icon, a guru even, to all them artists. They were like, we're not worthy. Even though he came from that place, there was no sort of stigma of like, who are you coming into our scene? It was, nah man, he was accepted, like wholeheartedly welcomed, embraced massively by the industry and the community and the, and the ravers as such. Uh, And I could see that that was going to happen. But all the way through that, I've always had like, I've always stayed in touch. We've always done a show here and there. And then at one point, I remember they were getting so many inquiries for him to come and do an old school set. And even like, you know, for me, you know, being asked to go along, which honored, just didn't want to do it. Just he didn't need to do it. And I think it was at best of all. He did one unannounced, just himself. and he just pulled out the tunes and he loves that era because he's been doing it on his cabin fever sessions. He goes back and explores and stuff and we did the uh, 25-year anniversary. We're talking about a 30-year anniversary, which we should have been happening this year. Um, we've talked about doing it. So, you know, there'll, there'll be there'll be another...
1: A hun- I hope you've got 100 grand, G. <laughs> He's my friend. You'll find it. You know, you know, I've got yeah. something down the back of the sofa, Carla. Yeah, I've got something here. Um but what so how did you feel about that? Because you could see that's really interesting. You could see him moving into this new world, which I assume cause as well, let's be honest, that you know, Rave scene was massive in that early 90s period. And it, it it did shrink somewhat, I think, probably, as it diversified into techno and trance and all the different areas. If you could see that happening, that would obviously as well mean that it's the end of the Carl Cox concept, which has only really just started fairly recently and you're loving. How did you feel about him seeing that happen and, was, and going, I'm so going to lose this now?
0: I, I never, I actually never thought that. It was sad more than me saying, I'm going to lose that uh, because... I actually thought that we could do our own thing, as some of the other live acts that were on the circuit. I thought we could have had our own sort of run, if you like. You know, like the project were out there doing their own thing, touring, and I thought we could do that as well. We could go and tour. We could do the festival circuit. We could go all over the world doing this idea. You know, I, I saw it as a as a as a as a huge opportunity, but there was a lot of other things that were not, that were not working around the car concept so he was signed to perfecto uh, uh and, I, and the first release was supposed to chart and i know Carl felt that you know perfecto weren't managing the situation properly i think paul oakenfold had some stuff going on uh, some personal stuff and it just didn't work out so you know with the rave scene i mean listen the plan is we're going to get Carl here and then you can ask Carl yourself uh, all these lovely questions but i think um he did say to me on many 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 numerous occasions that the, he could have stayed in the rave scene, playing the way he did, staying in that circuit and staying at the top for, for, for years but he, he saw a bigger picture and and, and he, he wanted to go and, and look at that and explore it and, and, and so he did and, he, and he I've,
1: I've, I've heard he's done all right. Amazing. <laughs> he's he's found he's found a modicum of success over the years in his techno
0: (laughs) next level that's a serious 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 vessel there you know because it's a serious machine serious machine
1: and uh did you try to convince him at any, at any point to, to to keep going and and he just had none he was just no no no
0: no i just i respected him and you know loved him so much uh, you know it wasn't for me to say i what i did do is just try to encourage him to do a couple of blasts from the past yeah now and then listen well, you, man, I see,
1: your, your your friends now to this day, right? I, what's, he like, so. what's he like as a person now? Because, of course, fame and uh, wealth like that can go to some people's heads. Listen, he's still
0: just cold. Just, he's got so much time for people. He's impeccably polite. Um, and he's just a, a, an all-round nice guy. And that's why people connected with him. He's a larger-than-life character.
1: Are you surprised by how successful he became? I mean, no, could, you, could you have anticipated not, it though? Not at all. Um, t- totally. I saw it
0: then. It's, right. It's the things that I saw, because remember I was around him. I saw things and he was successful then, you know, in, in 93 when I went to his house, he had a house, a lovely house in a nice area, you know, nice cars and he was, he was traveling, he was making money, he was, he was doing well. It was only going to get bigger and better because there was no stopping to him. He was There was so much more that was going to come out from Carl and, uh, um, I'm not surprised at all. No, no. I mean, Especially with you... the way the scene went and how yeah. big and commercial the scene went as well. And so fees go up and audiences pick up. Because in the, the day, it's like a, you know, it's like a footballer. A footballer will get loads of money because they have got so many spectators—forty, fifty, 40, 50, yeah, 60,000 yeah, people well, coming to watch and play. You know what I mean? I,
1: I went to Ultra Music Festival a couple of years ago, and and I spent my entire weekend at the Carl Cox mega structure. And if you've got a mega structure named after you, then you're probably doing all right. Uh, he was obviously incredibly wealthy and successful. Does he? Yeah fancy perhaps sponsoring a small 90s rave podcast listen you know what when you get him here when you get him here why don't you ask him because we're going to get him here
0: he's a lovely guy and i'm sure when he sees all this he's going to give you some time you can ask him yourself. we will do
1: We really hope you're enjoying yet another one of Raw's in-depth interviews about the rave scene, which we are proud to say are now all curated into the British Library Sound Archive. All of us here at Raw HQ love how much you love what we do, and your generous one-off donations have been a huge help in covering our initial costs. But we're now a team of five putting in a combined 80 hours a week for no wages, with big plans to expand further, and so our costs are going up. As such, we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing, as you've seen us do since our launch in July 2020. First up, go and check out our brand new website. It's rawuk.com, where you can find loads of cool extra content, and you can grab Raw's first ever range of merchandise. That's rawuk.com for our new flashy website. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can support us financially to create more content on an ongoing basis for less than the price of an oat milk cappuccino. Plus, you get great perks in return. Head to patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods. That's patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods to see exactly what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is basically the same, or if you're not asked about a membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation, then head to our website and click the PayPal link. A reminder of that new website URL yet again, rawuk.com. Big love and respect to you all. Please keep supporting us. Hope you enjoy the rest of the app. So, uh, G, MC Majika, you also struck up a a friendship over the years with promoter Murray Beetson, who uh, he was the Dreamscape uh, promoter, and you became a regular host for them at the Sanctuary. What was it that made Murray, who of course sadly died in in, in a car crash in the mid-90s, such a special and fondly remembered promoter?
0: I think uh, starting off, he was an innovator. He was there at the golden era. He was there from the beginning. He made moves that are historically archived and etched forever. Sanctuary, Milton Keynes, and I've said, can't go any further than that. It's just, shh, I'm saying? God rest his soul. But um, he, um, very special uh, with what he did, with what he achieved there. Uh, he was a raver, he loved it, he lived it. Uh, and as I said, it would have been amazing to see, to have seen, what would have unfolded or what would have happened if you'd have been here today. Because I would have just What do you think? I think he would have probably we'll talk about Dave, but I think he might have gone down that route. I think he would might have outgrown this. I think he would have definitely gone to even bigger festival levels. He would have got he would have taken it as big as he could have. You know, um, you know whether it be filling the stadium or something, something crazy would have happened.
1: What was it um, about his? What was it about his personality and his approach that would have led him to that? Do you think? Listen, man, he was just a driven guy, and
0: he was chilled, and he wanted to be the best. And it was like the slogan, uh, the, the, the the subheader of his brand, the standard has has been set. He was looking at. He was competitive in what he wanted to do. He wanted to be the best out there, and he was. He was. He was. He was revered by a lot of people. Like people didn't like him. I remember promoters and stuff, and that whole thing. Success breeds that contempt and that jealousy, and you know. And, and he had it. I, I, I saw it myself around him. I remember him being at a rave uh, at Cornwall outside Dance play and Danceplay wouldn't let him in the rave because you know he was the big. He was the big dog, and blah blah blah, and all kinds of things. and and I was just like, what? It was mad. It's politics, mate. But um, he's special promoter. Special, special promoter. My relationship with him didn't start out um, so smooth. Um,
1: Oh, you, you, you surprise me, G. You do often fall out with people. Uh, so, it's, uh you know. Anyway, listen. Tell me how you how you got in with. But that's like, not well. how I want to
0: be remembered. Anyway, the more no, we no, talk no. about it.
1: That's what they are going to
0: remember.
1: No, um, don't be daft. I think yeah. people are seeing you, and people. If people don't see you in a new light after this, then then they're, they're, they're beyond seeing you in a new light at any point, to be honest. Well, but you know. But realistically, as well, you you talk about you've 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 learned lessons. You've you've done things. We, look, we you're, we're, you're, we're exploring those.
0: You're a professional journalist, and for you to say that means a lot, you know what I'm saying? Because that's what I hope people are going to see the me. because they don't know me, man. You know what I'm saying? Going up online and posting, oh, we hate him because he, he ruined this set or blah, blah, blah. Some of the things I've read, which I'm going to pick up on, it just just like, you don't know me. You don't know me. They're
1: getting to know you now. But tell me about, about your Rocky yeah. intro to Murray Beatson.
0: So I, I, Murray saw me at um, Mythology, and I, at the time, because wanted to be known and seen by people and promoters. I had a jacket, cheesies it is. And my name was on the back and uh, I was ever seen at mythology. Obviously he didn't book, he didn't book MCs there. And I remember ringing his office the week after and he said, yeah, man, I saw you. I saw, I saw your name on the back of your, your coat. So, um, job I, done. It worked. Right. So, um, um, I networked him and I said, listen, um, because you're trying, you're trying to do things, you're trying to get in with these promoters and you're looking at angles. And I told him about a venue in Hull, um, which was like a multi-storey, like almost like a multi-storey old warehouse, supermarket type, ex-building type, ex-catalogue place. And, um, uh, and I told him about it and I said, listen man, the guy up there's looking for some, some, some promoters, why don't you go and have a look? And he actually did, he drove up there and he put on Skate, whatever it was called, and um, lo and behold, my haters will love this. Um, <laughs> the fly came out and I wasn't on it. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I remember coming out of a rave, seeing it, heart sinking, jaw dropping, just deflated, tired as well, because it was that time of the morning. I remember getting home, and this, this is gonna make you laugh again, um, got home and it was about seven in the morning, eight in the morning, where do you think I went, Tom?
1: I mean there's lots of things running through my mind that I probably shouldn't say. Where did you go? No.
0: Well, no, think think to this conversation. <laughs> what what, what <laughs> Round was my house? Co- no, what was what was my communication hub?
1: The telephone box, Tom. <laughs> of course. Of course, the famous old telephone box. <laughs> right. And I phoned him at
0: eight in the morning and
1: left the message. Bet he, I bet he loved that. <laughs> right.
0: And um he actually answered the phone right after the second, cause I'd make it the the second call and, and, uh, Oh man. And, right. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, Oh, I'm really sorry, man. You know, uh, it's nothing personal, you know, just come man, just come up there. And even though I was at that stage in my career where every opportunity I should have knocked at, I didn't go cause I felt disrespected. I opened up a, Opportunity. He had a big event, which went on to sell out. He sold out. The capacity was like two thousand four hundred. He done it, and I didn't go. Well, that was
1: fucking stupid.
0: (laughs) Nah, it wasn't at the time. No, it was. It was. It was for me, and something I've never shown later on. You know, uh, you know, just having that integrity and just, you know, sometimes I've I've never had that and put things aside and gone and worked for people when I shouldn't have. Uh, but I, mm. I, 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 <clears throat> I I, didn't go. And um, uh, and then um, sat at, I remember where I was, I was sat at home on the sofa when I was at my mum's. And, um, and I was sat on the sofa and then uh, my phone rang and it was him. And uh, he said, how are you doing? And I was like, yeah, it's Murray. I was like, all right, you you're all right? <laughs> and then he said, uh, I've got a gig on in Coventry uh, at the Edge. Wanted to come and play, man. And he said, Listen, man, why didn't you come to the show? And I because I didn't want to mate, you know, after that I, I got you that opportunity. Mm. And and because of me, you got an opportunity that happened, came into fruition, and you made a lot of money as well. And you you forgot. And you didn't make any effort after that, even to just to word me up and even to ring me before the gig and say, Listen man, make sure you come. And he said, I'm I'm really sorry for that. And uh, sometimes, you know, when you've, when you've made mistakes and I've been there. And, um, and I went and played, did the damage, came out. Uh, well, I thought I did the damage because he had the next event, I wasn't on it. <laughs> so he, he then uh, he then rang me again uh, and then said, listen, I'm going to have you at the sanctuary. And, um, and I went there and I went there, Tom. I went there and like, and this was something that started to happen a lot with my mental approach on the way to a gig. Started going there because I was a big boxing fan, and um, I started going there like I was going for a fight. It was the the mental, the, the focus and stuff. And I remember just being quiet in the car, and got there and walked in, and I even had a bloody hood over my 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 my. my, my. I was just quiet. Yeah, I was just. Just gone. I wanted to be in the zone. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> literally. You're Rocky! Um,
0: you're Adrian! I did it! <laughs> right. <laughs> and then uh, I got in there and uh, I went up and, yeah, I took it to a level. I had to. Yeah, I had to. I had a platform there. So, um, and came off. And uh, I can say that I became the voice for that era. That, that From that moment on, I became the voice so much so. On one particular event, I didn't go because I got I got outbid by another promoter at last minute for a lot of money and I went. And he said it affected him and his race so much that on his next flyer, there was a massive spiel that Majika was going to apologize in public. and um, um, And I became a big part of everything he did Everything that he did I was on. But also that he said some really good things to me over the years. He 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 supported me when I wanted advice. I went to him for advice. I um I remember when I was going through some grief and stuff at the Stevenage thing and he was outside and he said to me, You need to walk with some boys. You're a known guy now. You're going into certain areas and places where you know people are gonna be people are going to not be so nice there's going to be some 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 jealous people there's going to be some also some racists and this was murray saying it to me and um i never went out to look for people to come out with me um I, i think one of the biggest things with yeah so he advised me to do all that and we'll go back to murray but I then met Sticks, man which we'll talk about, and Sticks and There was a, a crew of people. Now there was some Asians, some black, and even some white. And everybody was like kind, of, kind of, kind of street. And from that moment on, I never had any grief at all, man. No, nothing. Nobody came with any kind of any kind of madness towards me, in an event or you know. I'd have people walk past me in a and go, "You packy," you know. Uh, I remember being at a world dance and a guy walking past me going, "You know, you're piece of dog shit." I went, "Pardon," because yeah, you're the colour of dog shit, mate, fucking foreigner. And I was like, "Wow, wow." And I didn't know how to look after myself physically then. Um, um, different story now. Uh, you know, I'm a two-time black belt martial artist, and one of the things, though, why I went into martial arts was because some of the stuff that was happening in the racing. Um, I always questioned myself. I thought, if anything happened, would I be able to look after myself? And thank God, I never, I was never attacked apart from one incident, which we'll talk about uh, in the racing. Um, um, so yeah, so uh, Murray, Murray was a, a big advocate in, in support whenever I needed. He was a voice. And when he when he passed away, it was very sad, man. It was sad for a lot of people, but it was very sad personally. Um, something something went missing that night. Something you know dropped and. Uh, um, I felt a bit vulnerable then, I thought, shit, you know, this was a guy that was, he was really behind me Um, and I was opening a lot of doors and there was even at a time when there were certain promoters around the country wouldn't have me because I, I was Murray's guy. It was just really weird how people were. Uh, but that changed, that changed. Things do change if you just keep pushing and stuff and doing what you do and opportunities can come good. I think the most important thing is when certain promoters can get a, a, an impression of you or if they think you're associated with someone else and they can get to know you a little bit, then that can change, that can change. Mm-hmm. And, and that did change. Um, and I'll miss it. I still do.
1: I think the whole rave scene, uh, I mean, anyone who went to a Dreamscape in the 90s would say exactly the same, and, and, they, and they in fact do. Um, you also um, became very close with uh, Dave Prattley, emceeing at Helter Skelter. Um, we're going to ask you about a potential reunion, but same question, same as Murray's question, what, what was it that made and makes Dave such a great promoter and, and Helter Skelter such a great event? You know,
0: it's, it's like what I said to you when we had that little chat. Um, last year about about Skelter it's the same thing I'm not going to veer away from what I said then so Dave is a very very hard-working man he comes from the traveling community parents run fairs and stuff these are crafters out there setting up fairs and all kinds of weather and terrain and working and grafting sometimes making money sometimes not Um, he comes from that that the school of hard knocks of hard work Um, so he wasn't he wasn't uh, new to that um, at all or inexperienced when it came to that. Um, so that was the biggest thing. He had the stomach for it. Um, he was very professional, um, uh, very well-mannered, spoke really well, treated people quite fairly, uh, to my knowledge, you know, and treated people really well. Um, um, even though he made us MCs work, he made us work, mate. I've never known anyone. <laughs> mate,
1: he made in, us work. In, in what way? In what way? Mate,
0: well... Phew, i just put it out there, we weren't paid a lot of money, n- not for the work we did. We, we, we used to go there and we'd do like four or five sets. Mm. And in the end, I'd, 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 I'd started to say to him, listen, I can't work like four or five sets. This is just flesh and bone. We're not robots and machines, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, mm. it was a lot. It was a lot you'd go there and you'd be given an itinerary on the day. It was no communication. I never had an agent, you know what I mean? Well, I wish I did because I would have been managed a lot better. Um, And I probably wouldn't have had to speak and engage to promoters as I did and fall out with people and stuff like that, you know. Um, But it used to go there and you'd have like a a slots and there'd be like about four or five slots, mate, starting from like 10.45, going all the way till like five in the morning. And in the end, it was, listen, if you're a raver, you're a raver, but I was working there. It was work to me. It was different. Um, And it was a bit much, I mean, listen, love my experience, loved being there, love being a part of it, love the fact that I can say that I've got that stripe on my, on my shoulder uh, uh, and it's archived forever within my history. But it wasn't a straightforward entrance uh, into, into Helter. When Helter came about, uh, I remember Dave from um, uh, uh, when he him and Penny owned a venue in Telford, uh, Wellingborough, he used to be an old seaman or something. And, and uh, he teamed up with Jez Bailey and Carl from Quest, and they managed to get Club Fantasia because Carl and Jez were close to the Fantasia lot, and they managed to do Club Fantasia and a few other things. And he did some of the raids before at the front house and Milwaukee's and stuff like that, you know, in the in the 90s, So in the uh, you know late 90s. so he's he's got a lot of experience, uh, Dave. Has. Um, uh, but when it came to doing Helter uh, Skelter, I remember seeing him. Um, it was actually a universe show. And my friend who drove me there, decided to leave me there Tom, left me in, in the middle of Wiltshire and drove off home. And I'm gonna mention him, Mark, and he's a good friend of my brother today still. We <laughs> call him the dirty one for a reason, right? And he, he left me there and, um, and I was outside and I'm, I'm asking people to get home cause it was like, pff, train stations were like miles away and stuff and uh, Dave actually, he had a little post office van, um, and full of flyers, him and his wife just crafted the, the mm-hmm. event, fly they had to wait for them. And he said, I'll drop you at a train station in Banbury and you can get the train from there and go home. And he actually changed his mind on the way and said, I'm going to drop you in Brum. And he dropped me in Brum. Um, nice. It's a lovely guy, he did, yeah. So when he first came out with Aldous Skelter, I remember the same again, approaching, networking. He just didn't want to know. And uh, and he made it kind of clear that, look, you know, you're Murray's guy. I want to move away from that. Even though the crossover with the DJs was there, all the DJs mm-hmm. were playing. Mm-hmm. Apart from a few, there was Murray had his sound. You know, he had his Dugals and Bookums and stuff like that. Dave went and and, and he, there were crossover acts, but for the first one, he came with a bang. He booked the prod, Prodigy and stuff. He, he was just there, and then um, uh, I tried to get on on the bill, and he just wasn't interested. And I saw him a couple of times, and. I'm quite persistent, very, very persistent. But I uh, no. Yeah, I know. He just said no, nah. and I actually resided in the fact it was not going to happen. And that was it, and I actually did. I gave up. I thought I can move on. I just move on and crack on. And then I got a phone call, <laughs> that famous phone call. And um, I remember I was on my way to London, and uh, and he just said uh, the first thing he said is Dave Prattley, of Skelter? How are you doing? Yeah. He goes, I guess I'm too late. I went no. Not at all, no mate, I'd love to be there. Went and did the show, again, that mentality, that focus, that drive, came off. Went and sat in the car, had Sticksman with me, we sat in the car and he he looked at me to pay me and he went, I think I need to make this a regular. Are you up for it? I went, yeah. And then I became synonymous with, with Skelter all the way up until probably the millennium, early 2001 when I did Accelerated Culture. Uh, he booked me for the Drawing Bass Room and then I think I hosted the Accelerated Culture Drawing Bass Awards think 2002 he actually got me to host them um, and I hosted them and then we kind of lost touch communication after that uh, uh, and then I just here and there always try to stay in touch and just say hello and then when I started sort of becoming known as a promoter uh, um, I actually did I helped us go to event really, him actually, in Birmingham which was great at the Q Club 2003 um, and then after that yeah we, we we kind of lost touch um uh and and, uh, and contact but then I think it was around 2007-8 started to try and just get back in touch again slowly slowly um and then it was um young raver called Shawnee Bertie God rest his soul there's a lot of people passing away. I keep keep hearing mm-hmm. myself saying God bless the soul, man. which you think um, so um, uh, I said um, so shortly Bertie contacted me and he was a he was a, he was an avid fan of the rave scene but he was he was a supporter of me and he showed me a lot of love and um, he was a troubled guy as well and uh, he, he unfortunately passed away but when he set the group up he had no intentions he just was a fan and it had about 300 members. And he said, listen, can you help me? Can you help me just turn it into something if you just become an admin and you take the lead with it and I can just sit on the sideline and help you? And and I said, yeah, yeah, okay, let's do it. And then I then started to contact Dave slowly, slowly. It was like always no, 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 no. I always sit on that group that, listen, this is never say never. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep because that's just how I am, as we've uncovered. Um, so uh, it just kept happening. Just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And of course, people are going to have opinions. Oh, this is you know, leading the on, and this, that, the other. I never said there was a guarantee. I just said, look, we're going to try. Let's just just build a community, and let's just try. And uh, it, I got a breakthrough um, last year, and Dave. Invited me to come and have dinner with him during the lockdown when, the, when they opened up some of the places and stuff. We went out for dinner and uh, uh, we talked about, we caught up, which was very interesting. And we talked about him. We talked about his life and we talked about, because he's very, very successful in property. And we talked about the possibility of, of doing an event and how to do it and where we should do it and all the options and stuff. So we started to talk about stuff. Uh, and then he became very aware of, he knew about the group anyway, because he was always looped in. And then he started to support the group. Uh, and even just um, late last year, he went into storage, pulled out loads of competition memorabilia, gave us loads of stuff. Um, and this kind of brings it back. I mean, I know you're probably going to ask me um, about his involvement and how he, why he hasn't surfaced on um, on the skelter group um, and uh, a lot of the artists when we've been pushing and pushing especially when we had dinner in the summer they've all asked him and um, listen if someone came to me and said uh, 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 any artist and said listen I'm running this page I'm love the nostalgia and the memory of being here and all the memories it's creating and and um, but I want to push this page. Would you come on here, Gene, have bless the page because you know, I'm going to try and get Dave to, to do something. Even I would have called Dave and, and said, listen, I've been asked to do this thing. Can you tell me more? And he's had everybody ringing. Nicky Black Market rang him three weeks ago. You know, Charlie B came on here on a video and said, listen, man, I spoke to Dave and it looks good. The reason why Dave hasn't come on here because he's not he's not public. And
1: he's very shy. He doesn't doesn't like doing stuff like that. Look, uh, so Daniel Clark, uh, when we put out for questions, uh, Clark <laughs> Daniel Clark, who follows us, he, and he makes a very valid point. And he says that there's obviously a lot of talk about it all, but I can't be alone in wondering why we haven't had an official word from the Prattly family about it. We hear from Ajika that Dave said this and Dave said that, etc. But Ooh. just a 10-second video actually seeing Dave mention it. That wouldn't be so tough, would it? I think it would definitely seal the deal for a lot of people. Not that I'm saying it's not legit as it is, but it would certainly put some minds at rest. And, and he, he's got a point, hasn't he? You know, look, right, I'm speaking to you and I'm speaking to all of our all of our audience here as a journalist, right? I'm, I'm telling you, and the, I, mean, I don't need to tell you, but I'm telling everybody listening to this that I've had it from, more than one source, which journalistically is enough to say that this is a thing that's going to happen, that it's going to happen. Now, I wouldn't be saying it if I hadn't heard that, right? So f- mm. as a journalist, I know that it's something that's under consideration from Dave Pratley. And, and people are questioning me and go, oh, who do you speak to? Who do you know? Just trust me, right? I'm a journalist. It's double sourced, probably more yeah. than that, triple sourced, four sourced, <laughs> right? But as a raver, if I didn't have these links in, if I didn't create this podcast, as a raver, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, why aren't they saying anything? Because we know as well, G, with respect, mm. you've said this before for quite a number of years and it's never happened. So what makes this different? Why won't he just come out and say, even just a little thing? You know, it is something I'm thinking about. It's not definite, not guaranteed, yeah. but it's something I'm thinking about. Listen,
0: it'd be great for him to do that. And I've spoke to him on numerous occasions and said, listen, can you do a video? At one point, he was considering it. Then he said, I don't want to do it. I just want to come out and do it. And announce it when we've got something to announce. And one of the conversations we had, uh, even recently, said, Listen, if this COVID shit wasn't happening, we could have been sorting something out. Um, and he said, I'm in a much better position now because I was so busy with my business and he's, he's, he's mega chocker now just with the, the backlog and stuff. Um, and he said, Look, you know, when the COVID things, we're going to be in a better position to have a conversation, to discuss things, um, to possibly do something uh and, and look at it he's always been kept in the loop he's aware of everything he, he sends me messages all the time I can't believe the group how well it's grown and then we discuss how well the group's done because of the content in the group and how well the group's performed uh and how well it's done and, and, and why it's done as well as it is as it has and the things that we've put in place to keep the group really friendly and that's something that we can talk about as well because I think it's very important. Um, and He's been asked to do a video. He's been asked to do a letter. Uh, he's asked to, to do a few words. He just said, "Listen, Jim. A lot of people know me. A lot of artists know me. This, you know, people have been calling me, ringing me on the phone, and asking me. And everybody knows that we're, we're, we're talking. Everybody knows that I'm around. I just gave loads of memorabilia away. I'm here. I'm watching. I don't need to say anything and tell." it's time to say anything. And he said, you just gotta respect me. And I said, yeah, that's cool. So I've asked the question uh, for everybody out there, uh, come on, just just show a sign of life. But I'm hoping that even though you've confirmed people have spoken to him, prolific people in the scene have spoken to him, Slip Matt spoke to him, Shane Vibes spoke to him, loads of people have spoken to him, and he said the same thing to all of them, that this this is a strong possibility of happening uh, and, and 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 coming into play, and he even said to me because at one point we saw a guy bootlegging jackets and we we intervened, and uh, uh, there was loads of orders in place, and Dave stopped it all happening because so rightly he so he so should that was his that was his thing. Dave's protected his brand. He's had a lot of money offered for his brand for people to host arenas and stuff. And he hasn't done that like some people. He's kept it because. That's how he wants it. He wants it kept safe and clean and, and not hammered. You know, like, for example, look at, look at Dreamscape. You know
1: what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, of course. I, no, absolutely absolutely right. And it is a valuable brand that remains so, and you wouldn't want to do anything that, 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 that downgraded it. But you've pushed this in the past, and it hasn't happened, which is why some people don't believe it, G. So, like... Is it not reputationally risky for you to back something like this, which even if Dave is interested, as I'm telling you that he is, right, and you know lots of people are saying that he is, it might not happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's going to leave you with egg on your face again. And and, and So why is this so important to you, that, that you are willing to risk your reputation for something that you know as well might not happen?
0: Well, at the end of the day, is it going to really risk my reputation? Some people will see it as that for me it was about nostalgia it was about having that huge reunion done properly like dave can do uh for me to be involved because i've you know we're going to touch on my programming i've done some huge events man some 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 serious things and to be involved that'll be absolutely phenomenal uh you know on the business sense and to be involved and to help uh but um it, you know away from that you know it'd be great to see Everybody out. It'd be great to see that reunion. It'd be great to see the 40s plus going up to 60. You know, <laughs> coming out for that blowout. It'd be it'd be very something special, something we're probably only going to see probably once in our life. You know, look, man, the end of the day, the reality is, without saying more we running out of time. How many people are passing away? So it'd be great to to, to see something special happen because I just think it'd be a great reunion. And listen, I've always said at the beginning, I'm, I can't promise, but I'm going to do everything I can. Now, going from the conversations I've had they've been very, very positive that something at the end of all this, when there's clarity for him, something's gonna happen. And he also said to me, when I said about the merchandise, he said, gee, because I said to him, when we when he stopped the, the bootleg guy doing the jackets, I said, why don't you just do a little range for Christmas? You know, and he went, gee, when we do this, we'll do it, we'll do it properly. We'll do the whole lot. So I'm only going off what he tells, what he's told me as well, and what he's told other people. So there won't be egg on my face. If he doesn't do it, then he's had a change of heart. But at the moment, it's looking very, very positive. He's telling the same thing to everybody else, all the all the people in the know. Like you said, you're a journalist. You've heard it yourself as well. So we'll just keep chugging away. We're just about to reach 25,000 on the group. The group's still surging forward. That keeps him interested because just that group alone will sell that event out. And he sees how big of a platform it is. So we just keep doing what we're doing. We keep supporting. We keep loving them and feeling the music and celebrating the, the legacy uh, and the times of Helter Skelter. And when he's ready to come out and play, the world will know. And that's his request. That's his wishes.
1: And it seems a common refrain in your career, really, isn't it? Getting pally with the promoters. I know you had a rocky intro to uh, to Murray Beatson, as you've said, but but you, you, know, you get pally with the promoters. Is this the secret of being a successful rave artist?
0: I think, listen... If you become an artist, it's like a working relationship. Your working relationship needs to be strong with with, with everyone that you work with in, in any field. But when something like this and and, and so sort of niche and you, you where you have an impact, you know, it's like a boxing promoter. I keep referencing boxing. A boxing promoter with a successful boxer is going to have a relationship, a good relationship, hopefully, you know. And um, and I think that's the case with some of the promoters I've worked with. I was an instrumental part of some of these. Experiences, these journeys with these organisations, and a prolific character, whether you like me or not, and and that's the secret. here. That's where you build those relationships because that's how you build those persons' nights and experiences where you turn that rave uh, uh, um, arena into like a concert-styled, you know, arena of mayhem, a theatre of madness. And they remember you for that, you know what I mean? And you, you can build good relationships. And if you've got good relationships with them, it's only going to solidify things for, for years
1: to come later on down the
0: line. Your name's not down, you're not coming in.
1: We continue our interview with uh, MC Majika, uh, a.k.a. G, as we call him. Um, we've talked about some of the big events that you've played. What was the biggest event you've ever played at?
0: Um... I think the biggest event I did was Dance Valley, Holland, um, and being emceeing on a drum and bass stage, but then because they heard the the vocal techniques and the voice, they asked me to go and host one of the main stages. Um, And the main stage at that time, it was all different acts like Yoji, Bia Mahanika from Japan, who I went to work with, huge hard house star, you know, all kinds of Scott projects and all kinds of stuff, crazy stuff. And, um, uh, 64,000. Uh, and that was the biggest, wow. <laughs> that was the biggest thing. And I remember my friend coming with me, frankly, um, from Birmingham. And he, he stood at the back and I said to the promoter at the end, uh, Ricardo, I said, listen, I want you to get your, your main tower to dip the lights. And uh, I'm going to do something to 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 finish this this uh, because it was a day thing into night. It's dark now, and I said um, I'm going to finish this thing in 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 sort of a spectacular fashion. He said I'm not going to question you. You just go and do what you got to do. (laughs) I was just like, so lights went down, and I got everybody to get the lighters out and light up the place, and 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 it was like, it was something that i'll never forget when i looked at that and i just thought i thought lots of things lots of things i thought look at this look where i am look where i've got to look what i'm doing look what i'm helping to create right now the opportunity that i've got all these things were flashing through and uh, and, and then and there's more there's more from me here there's more for me to come and um and it was all, yeah, it was all self projected, but it was. Would I be wrong to be thinking all those things? No, of course not, man. Not for me, anyway. Oh, I
1: mean, yeah, if you're performing to 64,000 people, I think you can allow yourself a moment of reflection where you think, fucking hell, this is good. Um, well, Jason <laughs> Gull, uh, um asks, because um, we, we we ask questions from our listeners, and if anyone else wants to get in touch, by the way, as you can see, that name on the screen there. If you're watching on video, hello at the 90s rave uk. If you're listening on uh, on audio, that's the email address if you want to get in touch with us at all. But Jason Gaul has asked, the first MC I ever heard on Dreamscape 12 with Dougal was Majika. <laughs> Love that tape, especially the mix from Sample Mania. Into "Take Me Away" and the MCing during that tradition. The cell, we came down the up. Does Majika have a favourite MCing moment? I mean, perhaps was that it? That was
0: one of them. That was there was many, many, many. The Ulster Hall uh, was uh, in in Belfast in in in, uh, in the midst of the IRA uh, times. Was was a, a historical moment. There's loads, man. We started to pick stuff. There's absolutely loads. I mean, yeah, the dance valley thing was 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 a serious serious memory and a serious achievement to be given that platform to go there. They believed in me, and um, um, and up I went, and uh, um, and I I, I I did I did what I was asked to do, and. I delivered it really well uh, and it was a great thing and i've got the pictures at home and stuff and etc cetera, etc cetera. um and it's yeah that was a great moment there was there was there was all this man there was loads of loads of stuff where i've gone out and performed and and had some some serious moments have it you ever had hard. a
1: have you ever had an emceeing nightmare because um uh, Andy Morley says, What happened at Dreamscape 21 New Year's Eve? The live link up between the Sanctuary and the Bath and West showground. You emceed for Dougal and Milton Keynes. Cyan Ribs on the midnight set in Bath. Listen to the take back. The live link really fucked up. What happened?
0: Yeah, it just didn't work, mate. The tri-
1: <laughs> I <laughs> mean, Murray, when, was it, when was that? Ninety- yeah. Or 90? In the ninth, six yeah. Or so? I mean, no surprise. Yeah. It didn't work, frankly. Yeah. And it, it,
0: you had that BT, you know, BT still. Image satellite thing that was going around, and Moi tried it, but he he dressed it up a bit more, bigger than what it was. So he put big pictures of satellites, like it was going to be some proper satellite broadcasting, and it wasn't, uh, and
1: it, it didn't work. it Didn't work. And was that embarrassing as when you were up on stage as an MC? Not, and the, the, not really, because no, not really, not really, because it was it was a bit confusing. But I
0: had to just carry on. Right. But but to be honest with you, I didn't even know it was happening because I couldn't <laughs> hear nothing. Right, <laughs> I know when I heard the tape later, I heard, could hear Rips coming through the speaker and stuff going, he just doesn't shut up, but because I couldn't hear you, mate, I'm MC. I couldn't hear you, it's not like could, the music stopped and we said hello to each other,
1: you're right, mate, Yeah, it was,
0: you know, it I don't know, didn't... I mean,
1: I wasn't there, of course, but I don't know how that's ever meant to work. <laughs> <laughs> like mate. two different performances on two different yeah. stages blasted out you know he probably had a guy
0: around him in production who said listen we can make it work it's not going to be great but you'll see some kind of imagery and, <laughs> and he dressed it up and made it look like it was going to you know because it was, it was huge satellites on the flyer you know it, it was never that mate. it was never that and that's you know not something cussing It just why he was never that
1: yeah, I mean, it was, as we say, it was it was the mid '90s. These things were very difficult to pull off. Uh, they're difficult to pull off now, but they were even more difficult to pull off then. Um, we're in the age of digital now, so it's a bit easier. Um, it, also, in terms of that embarrassment, you say you weren't embarrassed then, but did, did you ever get embarrassed? Have you ever been embarrassed on stage? Because you know, if you if you mess something up, I've got I, you know, I, I, I weirdly, given I've been a national radio presenter, the idea of being left alone. I had a brain freeze once on air. Uh, and it was like, I was like in the studio on my own, uh, present, you know, presenting to the nation on talk sport. And I, it was late at night and I just had a brain freeze and it haunted me. It's haunted me ever since. And I actually said to, um, to my producer at the time, I was like, I never want to be alone in the studio ever again. I, I cause I, to be honest, I prefer being in a studio with other people anyway, where you can talk to them and riff off them and, and whatever. But I said, I never want to do that. And it's, it's haunted me ever since. Have you ever had a moment like that where you've been really horribly embarrassed, or or do you, as an MC, have to try to not have that sense of shame?
0: Um, any embarrassing moments? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I've had them. Whether I can remember, I'm sure I was at a rave once and I said the wrong, the wrong, the wrong name at the rave. Oh, I remember one.
1: I mean, I, I think a few people have got in touch and say, you know. I want to hear the you know three words, hardcore will never die, and that sort of thing. I mean, you know, that's that. that you just slip of the tongues, aren't they? Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Listen, man. You know, uh, those, those things of you know, you know, things happen. Like right? people can get technical if they like. You know what I mean? Um. Uh. Yeah. I've said a few things that I haven't had major. I think where, where where was it? One rave. Where was it? I can't remember where it was. But here's a funny one for you. There was a big rave, big stage. I've walked along, freaking hole in the stage, mate.
1: <laughs> Trapdoor. <It> fell. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh dear. How Ooh. far? How far? Gone. Yeah. How, how how big was the hole? Um, big enough to take me. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: that's six foot. Wow. Yeah, gone. I'm five I'm five five eleven, so I was gone. I was I could see the hole, but I went straight down. It's a, it's, a, it's I'm lucky I never broke my leg. Yes. I fell really well. Right. Um but um and back then probably would have got sued man, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah,
1: yeah. um Did you what yeah. did you do? Climb out and carry on emceeing? No, it's underneath, come back. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> no, uh, pulling the microphone out by by the cable. yeah, yeah. no, no. <laughs> The, the, the microphone was
0: left there for the technician to get. That was
1: his job. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, we've had another another question, and uh, I, you, know, you don't need to go on about this too much. But it's a question from a from a from a listener. Zen Sergei says, being the only old school Asian MC that, that we that he knows of. What struggles did you face? Uh, I know that you've said that there was some racism and we're going to come on l- later to VibeLight to and the incident in particular that that, that, that Gary referenced uh, where you yeah. were racially abused. But mm. was there racism, particularly because you don't have a typical sort of rave geezer background, I suppose? Did you get it? We know that you've had it from some ravers. Did you ever have it from any artists or was it, was it purely just from punters?
0: I had a few incidences with some promoters. I'm not going to go into that. Um but there was some incidences. Like,
1: like, you don't have to say who, but like what?
0: Uh, one, one promoter had a, a member of his crew and he had a bit to drink and he jumped He jumped out in front of me and he, he was like at a rave. He jumped out in front of me while I was walking up to the stage and uh, he, I don't know what he was doing. He, there was a famous MC stood next to him and he was doing something, he was gesturing towards me and, um, and he, he said, Fucking packy. Um and that was like, yeah, okay. And it's a good job that I did not know how to fight and stuff because I just, I just wasn't that way. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have known what to do. It would have been a really messy situation because I didn't know how to tackle tackle any kind of confrontation
1: what did you feel because that's a that's a person in power i don't know who the promoter is it's sort of you know we, we're not going to name them but th- that's a person in power that's a person who's got the ability to pay your wages and so therefore yeah. that's that's an unfair power balance isn't it how did yes. you feel that there's a person who is who's got uh, the ability to felt, make you know felt, improve your, or neg- negatively impact your career talking to you in that way
0: i felt like you know um what what do you think how do you think belittled you know as I said, no one's going to really, people with logic, regardless of what nationality you are, are going to go, oh that's rough, man. Especially people in today's day and age. But there's some people out there, like I saw a comment not long ago, a few days ago on, online, especially after Gaz Jakes's comment, guy said, oh, it's just a name. And I looked at the person's profile and I thought, you, you, you live up north, you, you, you're Caucasian, uh, you can see from your profile the kind of things that you, you politically follow. And, and, oh, it's just a name. And that's that's the ignorance that you know that, that we're up against, and he's still there today, you know what I mean. And that person that that that, that promoter, yeah, makes it belittles you, man. Makes you feel, makes you feel, makes you feel insignificant. It was was almost like going back to school where I was I was racially abused in my school. It was just like going back. Then I thought, well, I thought that was an era that I would left.
1: How did the how did the the fact that you would experience this? Do, and do you think that the, the, the way that you experience this impacted upon your outer shell and your persona that has led some people to view you in a certain way? Listen,
0: let's talk about the outer shell and viewing me in a certain way. It depends on what context you're talking about because there's a multitude of things going on here, mate. There's people that, don't know, that, that do not know me at all, there's people who are going to mis- have me misunderstood. There's gonna be people out there that have come across me and have perceived me in a manner which they think is negative. There's gonna be people who haven't got a clue what they're saying, they're just going on oh, because he was an MC and shit. And we don't like him, he's a prat, he's a it. Blah, 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 blah. Very quick and flippant to talk and, and shout abuse uh, uh, and make opinions. Um, and then there's people that I've, I've made mistakes with. Uh, there's people that I've fallen out with because of business. Um, I'm very, very passionate and it was very outspoken. And sometimes I would tell you and, and, and get into conflict. Um, and those are just part of the journey for me. It was just a, a learning curve. Do you know what I mean?
1: But there's lots of
0: people out there because I want to focus on this time. There's a lot of people out there that like me. And, and show me a lot of support. Look, and a lot
1: look, of Look, there, there are. And there were people who've sent messages of support. Tony Milani says, you know, I've seen a lot of venom and undeserved hate slung at you over the years. You know, how do you cope? Where do you draw, draw your strength from? And, you know, that's a question I'm going to come back to shortly. But, but to be fair as well, pe- people have contacted us to say that you would, for instance, as an example, offer to meet to fight your online critics now I don't know if that's true or not you can tell me if it's true but if it were true you know why do you think that's a good idea now I'm telling you right as a journalist who also advises people on the media and on PR the best advice that you can possibly give to anybody going through a PR crisis and that's what it is someone criticizing you online is to just ignore it and move on because they, because if they see you rise to it, and we had an incident at the start of this podcast where someone did something similar. I mean, I'm, again, I'm not going to name them. They are non people in this world, right? But what we did, we took a decision. We're not going to engage with it because that's what they want. We made a statement and we moved on. And it was the best advice, the best move that we could have possibly made. Why don't you do more of that? Or why haven't you in, in the past done more of that? And do you regret not doing so? Okay. I do do that
0: now, even though. Like I said to you I'm human and certain things can get to me I'm not bulletproof however and that's just being honest back then I did not know how to channel it and I didn't have people around me to help guide me to to, to be able to deal with these situations Tom and some of these people I I drew myself in and when I drew myself in it led to it led to some unpleasant conversations where I was defending myself and 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 above, above uh, 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 and beyond the means that I should have gone. And um, yes, there was online, uh, someone posted, I was threatening people in the car park. I've never, never, <laughs> right? Yes, online. Yeah, I, I had some exchanges, man. I, I didn't deal with internet, the internet very well. I see stuff now and um, and it's hurtful, man. Some of the stuff is like, um, uh, there's one comment I saw, right, not long ago. and. Um, Someone put a post on online only a few weeks ago and they said uh you guys are just trolling. this someone I don't even know. So you're, you're trolling Majika, you're, you're literally trolling, and it's like bullying, you know, he, this is just basically it was out of order. You're actually trolling an adult and, and it's bullying and the impacts of it have got to be severe. It can't be can't be nice. And this one guy put underneath, and his name was Jamie. I don't know his surname, but I would have mentioned him. And he started off really philosophical. But it was like a really educated kind of stance, talking about the impacts and statistics and uh, about the bullying and people committing suicide and all this type of stuff. And then at the end, he put, but I'll make an exception for Majika. And I just thought, and then other people put, really? But you don't know him. And this is the kind of levels of people, how flippant they are. They have no regard uh, of how they're communicating or what they're saying.
1: Why do you think that people treat you like this? Why do you think? I'm asking you. As a, I'm a, as a journalist. I don't know. I'm asking yeah. you. I'm not, I don't live in it's your a, life. I, I don't my, live in your and, and unless you've walked, you know, 500 yeah. miles in a man's shoes or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I'm asking you.
0: Well, I'm going to say a multitude of things, like I said before. There's people that don't like me as an MC, so they'll express themselves in an inapt way untoward, an unorthodox, you know, uh, manner uh, with lots of foul abuse and they'll express themselves quite explicitly. There's people who've probably met me. It could have been a person that walked past me and I gave the wrong look to or didn't talk to, you know. Um, There's people that, and I hear it more from fans, people in the scene, It be people probably didn't get what they wanted from me as a promoter or um, an occurrence they might have had with me as an artist. You know, people do, it happens all the time. You see it online, people fall out all the time. But members of the public, that they, they don't know me and they're making opinions of, of a person. And we'll throw jealousy in there as well. I'm very proactive, I'm doing a lot of things. We'll throw the hate in there as well. There's that, you know, so i I've throw in everything there. Some of the stuff that I've I've, I've read. Listen, I'm not going to be going to lie. I try to challenge it. Well, it does challenge me mentally. It, it, listen, you cannot feel good about reading stuff uh, of that level. Yeah, but that's and the point. No it, one.
1: Yeah, but that's the point. No one feels good about this stuff. You know, when people criticize my presenting on this, it breaks my heart. But you know what? If you respond to it, they'll do it yeah, again because they know listen, it gets you. That's listen. the point. One of the things you do, and a few people have asked this question too, is why do you not allow any criti- criticism of yourself in the helter skelter organization, for instance?
0: Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that very, very clear. So this isn't just about me. Okay, there was an artist on there, and the comments that people made about this artist's sexuality were absolutely disgusting. Disgusting. That's not the rave scene for me. Let's put me into perspective now, right? Help to Skelter as a group, it's like a house. I don't own it, but I live in there. I live in that house, and I don't want that energy on there. And a lot of people don't want it on there, lots of people. And you find people are very quick, and it puts a dampener. Then there was another artist who contacted me, and he said, I'm never going to come into that group because it's absolutely disgusting. It reminds me of Osh.net. We, we know what happened to Osh. They actually got shut down. And some of the things I was reading on there, and I'm, let's take me out the equation. Yeah, let's take me out the equation for a minute. So an artist was really, really bad, like really bad. And I even saw well-known artists posting. They were saying, listen, are you really expecting Dave Pratt to come and put a thing on when, you, when you're doing stuff like this? So we made a rule, we made a rule. And I aligned myself with sort of soul Walks from the scene, Slipmat, Shane Vibes, you know, Marlon's come on board from the movement, which is racism against uh, uh, jungle, drum and bass, uh, old school against racism. And he came on there because we were finding lots of even racist comments happening, uh, quite a lot. And we just cleaned it up. We just made it a nice place. It's not a place to vent your opinions of a hateful place and we go and look on
1: other groups like someone constructive criticisms is part of development and growth isn't it like you know we're today you know we are having a constructive conversation that is constructively critical at times of you and that's important for For, for giving an, a holistic picture of you and what's Tom, happening. And in the same way, if you, if you stop people being critical in any, you know, or, or, or being at all negative, yeah. it doesn't give you a, a correct picture of this is Tom, the rave scene, hellskelter fans, etc. Tom, it was going beyond
0: being critical. They were being horrible and nasty, mate. horrible and nasty and vindictive, not just to meet several people. That's not the place we're about. And it's a really nice place now. It's just full of memories it's not the place. Listen, we've got the right to say, listen, this is not the place for it. This, here, if you want to join here, you join here to talk about the lovely memories and the good things. If you want to go and vent, use your own platform. We've got the right to say that. That's the freedom. We should go and use your own platforms. Now, there was a guy in the group who got moved out and he's such a his zone. When you go on there, it's just full of horrible, horrible stuff. That's not what we're about. It's not what I want about. Right? I don't want to be reading that type of stuff. And as I said, I live in that house, so I don't want to be reading stuff about me, and I don't want to be reading stuff about the other stuff. And when I'm seeing artists even messaging me saying, "Listen, f that page, f it, don't want nothing to do with it. It's disgusting," and um, that 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 should ring home. And as I said, you know, there was one artist. The stuff they were saying about that artist was disgusting. But then you see the flip side of the love that artist has got on there from the right people. And that's all we've done. We've kept the right people on there. If you want to live, if you want to come into that community and come onto the grounds of that community, you've got to adhere to the regulations of that community. And that's just, it's not about that. You want to go and do it in your own place? Go for it. You want to go and join another group? Go for it. You're not going to hear nothing from us. That this place isn't about criticism and growth. You could talk about tunes, you could talk about an experience at raid, but hating on individuals and being nasty. Listen, you had a comment on your on on, on your uh, on the page that you put up for me, and you went, "Come on, people, just be nice." Blah blah blah. It's the same sentiment from here. Just be nice. If You want to be critical? Be ah, critical.
1: but uh, ah, but yes, I did. I did accept <clears throat> criticism, fair criticism. I deleted abuse.
0: Yeah, no, but abuse criticism is what you can see. It's just being rude. But once the criticism opened up, here's the difference now. When you put criticism on there, the criticism evolved. It always snowballed into, and then it just became, you had to just get rid of the whole thing. Mm. So what was the point? They Mm. just couldn't control themselves. And now they do because we just don't tolerate it. And that's why we do that.
1: Okay, we can part that. I wanted to talk about that, and that's fine. Um, back to your career Before, while we end this uh, particular uh, episode here. Um, in the late 90s, you did a PA called Black Magic with Stixman. We've mentioned yeah. Stixman earlier. Um, Nathan Paul Fisher asks, what happened to Black Magic? Did Rush Hour inspire this idea? And MC Focus asks, how did he meet Stixman? Where is he now? And finally, Warren Turner, what happened between you and Stixman? So there you go. You can. Uh, there's a few questions you can answer. <coughs>
0: um, so basically the black magic project was put together pre uh rush hour it was just wanted to make tracks so i met a guy called lee spiker when i was in london good engineer and we started making music and then rush hour were doing their thing but that was more sort of like pa led and it wasn't about making music and i just said to like uh, a few people and promoters that we've got this thing we want to push it and it was going places it was really really going to go places and um there was a few differences with the band and it just wasn't going to go. And it happens a lot in crews and projects. It just wasn't going to happen. It was a shame because it it literally did. That would have project probably would have got signed to to a major. I I really, really believe. And it's not because I wanted it to. I really think it would have. Some of the stuff that we did musically, which I'm going to post um, probably after this up on my page from the set from Alta Skelter, those tunes were ahead of time. They were ahead of time. And, um, um, a lot of people were talking about us. We were we were getting pitched left, right and centre. And I, um, we've actually all come together just recently to have a conversation. And just for some nostalgia, we're going to do a tune. We're going to do a Black Magic tune, okay. uh, uh, which we're going to put together. And uh, just for nostalgia. And if it goes somewhere, it goes. But we're all busy and stuff. But we're going to do one. We're going to do one. Because people, you know, we grow and we change and stuff. So that's what happened with Black Magic. Sticksman, I met him because I lived locally to him. I kept seeing him and we kept com- having conversations. He talked about reggae sound systems and his involvement in music. I told him about my stuff and I ended up dragging him to a rave. Um, later down the line, um, I moved to London. Um, he, uh, he used to live by me where I used to live, where I used to live by my mum. He moved from there. When I moved to London, things became distant uh, and we just grew apart. Uh, but we've connected again. We talk and we message and we, we, we show a lot of respect to each other We're talking at the moment about the black magic thing and we show a lot of each other love So people grow apart people move on and then but in life some of us can be reacquainted and we have and He's, he's, he's in my book and he's someone that I class as a friend and and we, we have some really lovely conversations
1: well, that's good news. Uh, and if you want to read that book, by the way, Make Some Noise by MC Majika is on pre-sale now. If you want to get in touch with us, hello at the90sravepodcast.co.uk. We're on all your social media channels. We're on YouTube if you're listening on audio. We're on audio if you're watching on YouTube. So check us out wherever you are and join the community because there's loads going on. It's great fun. Well that's it for another episode of Raw, and if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to get involved. All of us here at Raw HQ buzz hard of how much you the Raw crew enjoy our work and your generous cash donations have been a huge help since our launch. But we're now a team of five, putting you in combined 80 hours a week for no wages, we've got loads of plans to go further, expand our team and offer but that does mean that our costs are also increasing. So we can really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing as you've done since we started. So please do check out our website initially. It's rawuk.com for interesting extra content and to get your hands on our first ever range of Raw merchandise. That's rawuk.com. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can donate to create more interesting and fun content on an ongoing basis and you'll even get stuff in return. So head to patreon.com forward slash pods. That's patreon.com forward slash UK Pods to see what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is the same. Or if you're not bothered about membership but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a donation, head to our website and click the PayPal link. That website URL, one more time, rawuk.com. Respect to you for your support and for getting to the end of this episode. Please keep supporting us and help ensure there's more quality content coming your way on a regular basis. Oi, oi.